0: We read James 1, the epistle of James chapter 1, and we read it in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 52, the first question and answer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We hear the inspired word of God, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, He shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world we read that far may God bless his word to our hearts we read that passage in connection with lord's day 52 question and answer 127 on page 27 in the back of our Psalter which is the sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh cease not to exalt us, do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us, by the power of thy Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a close connection between this petition and the previous. Previously, we requested the forgiveness of our sins which is, in principle, a prayer by which we lay hold on the wonder of our justification and the experience of that justification in our lives. Justification is the act of God by which he declares us freed from sin, declares us forgiven, and he clothes us then with an eternal righteousness that is ours on the basis of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. That blessing is important, it's crucial, for all the other blessings of salvation. It's the foundation, the ground, of all the other blessings of grace. We need to know the objective justification of God if we're going to receive any of the other blessings. And justification changes our legal status. We who were guilty are now innocent. And as those who are innocent before God now, we're called then... To change our condition as well. Our state has been changed. Our condition remains that of sinners. And so justification cannot be the end of our salvation. This petition for justification results in a desire for our condition also to be changed. God has changed our state, but we desire to that our walk, our conduct, our nature be that which pursues the will of God. And so this petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, flows out of the awareness of our justification. Justification has resulted in this fruit in our lives. I desire to be sanctified. I want to be holy. Christ justifies us in order that he might purify us to himself. We read in Titus 2 verse 14 that he might take us, his people, and make us his own possession zealous of good works. So God not only forgives us, but then he works in us to make us zealous unto works of obedience and faithfulness. That's the point here now of this petition. Forgive us, but then now deliver us from evil. We know the wonder by which our state has been changed from guilt to innocence. And now we want more. God has placed in our hearts a desire for deliverance, freedom from that sin that cleaves to our natures. And so really these two clauses that are given us this morning lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil constitute the same one request. It's not as though if I must be led into temptation, then deliver me. That's not the idea. Rather, both are requesting the same blessing of grace, one negatively, the other from a positive perspective. The last clause really expresses more than the first. Lead us not into temptation implies we're in the midst of this world yet. Deliver us from evil is looking to the end, the goal. Our desire to be delivered once and for all from this world in which we live in sin. Now most of the time we don't pray this prayer very fervently. We don't pray this petition as though we really need it. And we examine our hearts this morning in that regard. Do I love temptation? And do I put myself deliberately in situations of temptation? Or is there that longing within me? Deliver me. Free me. Don't allow me to be put in those situations of temptation. Do I love the evil, the sin that I allow to control my life? Or do I hate it? And I recognize how devastating It is for me and for my life. And I realize how weak I am and so that I cry out to God for deliverance. As young people, tragically, we put ourselves in temptation all the time. And then we need to face ourselves with this question. Do I really mean this petition when I pray it? When I find myself in the midst of temptation, ought I not resist those invitations, or turn down those opportunities because I know that they're going to put me in a situation of temptation. As adults, are we sincerely desirous to be freed from temptation? Or do we just continue to kick back, watch the television, whatever movies we desire, allowing our ears to tune in to the filth and the corruption of the world? We let our eyes lust We allow our ears to hear things we ought not. Beloved, recognizing our weakness, this petition raises up from our hearts. Lead me, not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So we look at the deliverance from evil, noting the spiritual awareness. God makes us spiritually aware of how weak we are. Secondly, the fervent desire then, And finally, the constant effort. This is a lifelong battle. The Catechism says, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand for a moment. Now that's startling. Who of us would be willing to confess that? I am so weak, I can't stand for a moment. No one likes to be weak. We want to be strong. And we pride ourselves in our strength. As young men, we stand in front of the mirror, flexing our muscles, taking pride in the strength that God has given us. We desire to show ourselves to be those who are not in any way in need of advice. We don't need help. We're those who are able to fend for ourselves and to do what we want to do. Isn't it the case that we get sick of our parents trying to dictate our lives? We rebel against the fact that they want to know where we're going. They want to know why we're going. Who are we hanging out with? We believe ourselves to be strong. We say, why do you need to know all that information? I can handle myself. I'm strong. Your parents are reflecting the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. Not only do they know their own weakness, they know that you also are so weak that you cannot stand for a moment in the face of temptation. Your parents may say, we're just trying to spare you from temptation. We're trying to spare you from future embarrassment. We're trying to maintain the fact that you glorify God in everything that you do. We don't see that, do we, very quickly. We don't appreciate that like we ought. And sometimes as we get older, we're no better. We have more needs, but we don't want help. We think we can still do the things that we used to do. We believe that we can continue to go forward even though we keep getting weaker and we need more assistance. It's human to feel ourselves to be strong and independent. But it's contrary to Scripture. It's not biblical. The Bible teaches us, you need to pray this petition for this purpose. You are weak. You are so weak that you cannot stand in the face of temptation and if you think you can stand, what does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians ten, twelve. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The moment you think you're strong, God will humble you. The Bible portrays that weak, dependent spirit of God's children. Now, there's different reasons for it. In in general, we're weak because of our physical limitations. Psalm 103 records the fact that David teaches man is like grass. Man is here for a moment, he's gone the next day. In terms of the fact that we're weak physically. We're not able to sustain ourselves. We're not responsible for our original existence nor our continued existence. We're entirely dependent on God. Acts 17.25 depicts that. That God is the one that gives us our life. He gives us our breath. He's the one that's constantly sustaining us. That's how dependent we are. But we're weak also in the sense that we can't stand before temptation. And we need to be honest with ourselves. The Bible is full of examples of saints who said, I can stand, I can stand. And what happened to them? One after another they fell. David thought he could stand He fell. Peter thought he could stand. even boasted about his power and ability to stand. He fell. Christ is the only one who was able to stand. And he stood because he was very God. And it's only in Christ that we can stand. And that's our confession this morning. I'm weak. I can't stand for a moment. And therefore, I'm entirely dependent upon Christ. I need Christ and the power of his spirit within me in order to preserve and to keep me. I am entirely dependent, and I show that in prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Now God uses means. As we pray this petition, God answers it with parents. He answers it with teachers. He gives us pastors. He gives us elders. He appoints Individuals in our lives, friends, accountability. God grants all these precious gifts to us in addition to his word and the power of his spirit. It's especially by his word and by his spirit that he keeps us and he preserves us. And he surrounds us then with those who are called by him to assist and to give his children what they need in the face of temptation. Now again, we live in a state of lawlessness. And that's reflected here in this petition. Lawlessness means this. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to pursue my own will. I don't care about what other people think. God may demand it. I don't want to do it. And so I'm just going to do my own thing. Lawlessness takes God's law and replaces it now with my own will, my own desires. That lawlessness is rebelling against God, and it's inherent in our natures. God predicted that that lawlessness would get worse and worse as the end of the world gets closer. And we see indication of that. But God also warns us, we are weak, we're helpless when it comes to living a life that's pleasing to him. And we need to be aware of that lawlessness in our own natures. So, beloved, what is our conclusion? Apart from the grace of God, we would perish. If it were not for my heavenly Father holding me, keeping me, preserving me, all would be in vain. I need Christ. I can't live apart from him. I'm weak. He's my strength. And beloved, this drives us to our knees in prayer. The forces that assault me are stronger than I. And I cannot stand for a moment. Now the catechism addresses who those forces are. The devil, the world, and our own flesh. And notice, cease not to assault us. There is never relief. Not even when you're sleeping constantly the devil, the world, and our flesh are trying to get at us, and they're trying to draw us into sin. Now, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, we read that the devil was cast out of heaven, and he makes his war against the saints on earth. That's Revelation 12, or 17. He makes his war against the seed of the woman. And that's you and me. We are, by God's grace, that seed of the woman. And we live in the context then of a fierce battle. He sets his eye of attack on God's children. He's already got the world. He doesn't have to worry about them. And the enemy that we face is none other than the devil, the liar, the one who has a host of demons with him, and who is was enraged. He's filled with fury. We know how tragic it is to come into contact with someone who's angry. That's the devil. He knows his end is in sight. He knows he's already been overcome. But he's raging with anger. And he's desiring to bring as many down with him as he can. He knows he's going to be swept off the face of the earth into the bottomless pit. And he wants to take as many as he can with him into that pit. And so he uses every trick imaginable, everything he can muster carefully, subtly, to make you think and to make me think that we can stand when really we can't, so that then he can get us into a position of temptation and he can bring us into the way of sin. If it were possible, he would snatch us from God. But what's our comfort? Jesus Christ, and God as our Father, holds us in his hand. And no one can pluck us out of his hand. Now the devil uses allies. The passage talks about that. He uses the world and our own flesh. The world is a godless society in which we live. The culture about us tries to say there is no god. That's the world in which we live, a culture that says god is not god. Man is god. And therefore do what man wants to do. Don't listen to what god has to say. And the world encourages selfishness and encourages just think about what you want. You're the most important person in life, and therefore do whatever you desire. The world doesn't promote the glory of god. It doesn't promote living to god and to his glory. It promotes self. And so, do what you want. If you're not happy in your situation, get out of it. Pursue your own way. Pursue your own will. If you want sexual pleasure, go get it. Enjoy it. If you want something, don't worry about whether or not you have money to afford it. Just buy it. Our own sinful flesh falls prey then to the devil and to the wicked world. And it's inclined to go the way of evil. The evil that I would not, that I do. That's Romans 7 verse 15. We are so weak and the devil is so strong that he even has a power within us, our flesh. And yet, what's our perspective? Do I really need to pray? Too often in our pride, we still think that we can stand. Beloved, as we consider before God this petition, we hear Christ. And we hear Christ say, After this manner, you must pray. And we take on our lips this petition with that not only command of Christ, but with the understanding of how weak and helpless I am. I cannot stand. I need Christ. And therefore, I look to God. Lead me, not into temptation. I realize with fear and terror how weak I am, how quickly I could give in to the ways of sin, and how quickly I would make a mess of my life and the life of those around me. And so the fervent desire that God works in our hearts is lead us, not into temptation. Now what's a temptation? We're familiar with temptations. James here is talking about it. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. He says in verse 2. Now how do we understand that? If we're to say, lead us not, and then it says, count it all joy when you fall into such. The word temptation here in verse 2 would be better translated trial. And that follows from verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience... So James here is talking about the fact that count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Now that trial is also a temptation. We understand the difference here. Temptation has two ideas. One favorable in terms of trials, the other unfavorable in terms of temptation. Temptation trials are from God. They're motivated by love. They're with a view to building up and to strengthening his children. Temptations are from the devil. They're motivated by hatred with an intent to destroy. When we talk about the unregenerate wicked, we don't talk about trial. We talk about temptation. A trial presupposes something good. A trial presupposes that God is doing something in order to make it so that you're stronger. He's doing something to improve you. A test enhances. It improves the situation. Why are gold and silver? Tried to purify them so that they come forth even more pure than previously they were. Foreign elements have to be separated from them in order to enhance the beauty of their luster. So that one doesn't take a, a lump of clay and test that or a lump of dirt. The wicked, unregenerate, aren't tested. There's no good to be found in them. A trial implies love. Those whom God tests are those who are the objects of his love. He loves them, and in his love for them, he's now leading them in a way that will strengthen them and prepare them for the glory that awaits. A temptation is is a lying appeal to our sinful nature motivated by hatred against God and it seeks to destroy. And so the tempter is the devil. The devil comes with temptations. He says, don't worry about what God says. What God says isn't important. He lies. Flat out contradicts God's will. And the devil then tries to take up the role against us in order that we Pursue his way and his will, which involves sin. Now, the devil assumes many in our lives to take up that role of tempter on his behalf. Sometimes it's a husband, a wife, sometimes it's children or parents, sometimes it's a dearest friend, sometimes an enemy. And again, the Bible is filled with illustrations of this. Judas was one of the disciples, and yet the devil entered his heart in order to use him against Jesus and against the others. The devil hates God, and as the tempter, seeks destruction with temptation. For a believer then, a trial becomes a temptation to fall. But God is sovereign over it all. And God is the one who is watching over all things. So what do we pray for? We pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That doesn't mean, Lord, don't let me be tempted. We understand the difference. It's impossible that we not be tempted. If we're in the midst of this world, there's going to be temptations. And so while Satan continues in this world, and as we live in this world, we're going to be tempted. Jesus says that he was made in every respect, like as we, so that he could be tempted. And now we are tempted in order that we might be made like unto Christ. That's God's purpose. So God has a purpose with regard to temptation that we're not in any way minimizing. Temptation is part of the spiritual warfare. And as long as we live in this world, there's going to be temptation. Nor is this a petition so simple as this, that don't let us be conquered by the temptation. In other words, lead us not into temptation in such a way that we fall. That's not the idea either. A person may enter into temptation and not fall under sin. Jesus endured that. Jesus was brought into temptation, yet he didn't fall. While a man is in the midst of temptation, God can give ways in which there are escapes. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it? First Corinthians 10:13. So this isn't simply a prayer that we not be conquered by the temptation in the sense that we fall down under it and commit the evil that we're tempted to do. The idea is this, beloved: God works in us a love for him, a desire to pursue His will in His way. And God works in us this awareness that we do not desire to fall into that pit with all those snares and with all of those traps that would detain us and would bring us down. And knowing how weak we are, we are fearful of that divine remedy that God ordains to humble our pride. God in love ordains at times means that are necessary in order that our pride be brought to nothing and that we be humbled. It was necessary for David. It was necessary for Peter. It's necessary for God's children. When we enter into that situation where sin is all around us, where the threat of sin is to snare us, we're in what Revelation 3.10 says, the hour of temptation. And we pray then that God not bring us into that hour of temptation. We pray that God use other means in order to strengthen us and in order to keep us from pride and in order to correct our sinful ways. How do we enter into temptation? Generally, it occurs when we have fellowship with sin or with people who are walking or running in sin. People that are not fleeing temptation. We're hanging out with them. We're not living in the word. We're not praying regularly as we ought. When temptation gets hold of someone close to us and we're not filled with abhorrence for it and we don't try to help or assist them, what ends up happening so quickly is we get drawn into it. And the hour of temptation now is there for us as well. We acknowledge that God is sovereign. He's sovereign in all of temptation. And we look to him with this bold request then, lead me not into temptation. Find a different way to teach me. Find a different way to lead me and to guide me. Now God does it in such a way that he's not the author of sin. God is active. No man, when he's tempted, we read in verse 13, can say, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God hates sin. And even when he leads us into temptation, it's through our own sinful flesh. It's through the work of the devil. God's the one who is sovereign over it all, but we're still the one responsible. And God did that with Job. God demonstrated he was sovereign over all, and yet it was the devil that was the one. He was the tempter and was the one leading Job into temptation. That's remarkably set forth also with David's numbering of the people, with Hezekiah revealing Babylon to all the treasures of of Judah to Babylon. It's indication also with Peter. When we read that, Peter was sifted as wheat. Now, why would God ever do that to one of his children? That's the question that rises up in our mind. And again, beloved, it's because... God knows what you and I need. He knows how proud we are. He knows how we don't live in the consciousness of our weakness like we should. And so God has to show us how sinful we are so that we know more fully our need for Jesus. He desires to teach us a lesson to cure us from that pride so that we learn to abhor and we learn to hate all sin. Isn't it the case often, That like Lot, who pitched his tent next to Sodom, we're walking right on the edge of the world. And we're trying to get as close as we can without falling in. And so God at times has to wake us up. And he has to say, no, you need to be more careful. You need to get away from the edge. And so God allows us then and ordains that we fall in. We're maybe playing with worldly pleasures. And God lets us burn ourselves so that we learn how painful sin is. Sometimes the more we're warned, the more we boast, like Peter did. And so we constantly are rejecting our parents, those in authority. We're boasting about our own ability until finally the Lord has to make us eat our words in a most humble manner to teach us that we are weak and that our strength is found in him Alone. Now, as children of God, we're deadly afraid of that remedy. We dread it. We pray that it never has to be necessary. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. Give me the spiritual sensitivity to be walking before thy face and before thy presence. But then we also pray on the flip side. Deliver us from evil. That's the positive of the negative. The negative is lead us not into temptation. The positive is deliver us from that evil. We want to escape it. Because, and here's the reason, beloved. The more we understand the wonder of God's work, the more we realize this. Sin does not get me to where I want to go. Sin does not get me to the goal that God has ordained and the goal that God has worked in my heart. My desire is fellowship with God. It's to be with Him. It's to live in His house. It's to dwell with Him to all eternity. And sin is not going to get me there. We need to be delivered from the power of the devil, moral evil, all the corruption of our nature, and we long for that day of the full blessedness of the realization of heavenly bliss. We know that day will be a reality because of what Jesus did for me. Jesus laid down his life in my place. And because of his perfect work for me, I'm assured that he will take me to be with him in the fullness of bliss to all eternity. He conquered the power of the devil. And I'm found in him. And now I look forward to that day when I will enjoy the fullness of that blessedness. And so this is my petition then. And I pray it not just for me, but for the whole body. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is contrary to those who would teach that man can deliver himself. And that with time, maybe with maturity, man gets to the point where he doesn't really need this petition any longer. The Bible teaches, you need this petition until the day you die. Constantly, this petition is rising from our mouth. Those who say that man can reach a certain level of perfection, that he doesn't have to worry about temptation any longer, of necessity, lower the standard of holiness and righteousness, and they minimize the depravity of man's nature. They're satisfied with merely outward obedience. The child of God understands that God requires far more. And so, beloved, this is a petition then that the sinner takes seriously. And it's a petition that God already answers in this life with an increased sensitivity to sin and with the strength to battle against the powers of temptation. God gives us the grace to take up the sword of the Spirit. He gives us the strength to do battle against the powers of sin and darkness. But this is a constant effort. And that, finally, beloved, is reflected here in this petition. Preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare. God calls us in the midst of this world to watch and pray. To watch is be on guard. Take heed. Consider all your ways. Know your enemy. Know your own weakness. Know the ways that the devil is trying to approach you. Is it that friend that I perhaps ought not have as a friend? Is it the internet? Is it my phone? Is it this book? Is it this person that likes to gossip that so quickly leads me into sin? What must I do in my life in order that I watch? To watch again is to stand at guard like a soldier, standing in the faith and seeking to turn away from everything that would tempt us into the ways of sin. To pray this petition is to make a sincere desire. I know that I'm weak. I need the strength of God, and I desire to overcome, because my longing is fellowship and communion with a living God, and I can't enjoy that in the midst of sin and in the midst of temptation. And so, beloved. By grace, we respond, yes, that's my desire. My desire is to overcome. I've tasted the bondage of sin. I know that sin is not freedom. The way of sin is not joy. It's not fellowship with God. And by God's grace, I desire to turn. And in Christ, I can do all things. That's, beloved, our confession. We pray this petition to God knowing that our strength is found in Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit alone. The power of the Holy Spirit is the only power by which we can stand. And so we look to Him. He who bore our sins on Calvary, who not only forgives us, but then also now by His Spirit is at work in us, making it so that this is our desire, making it so that we want to do what's right. We want to live a life of obedience. We're not content merely with the fact that I've been forgiven. I also want now to do all to the glory and honor of my Heavenly Father. We don't get up then from this prayer and then quickly head into an environment where we know that we're going to be vulnerable to the devil's attacks. As we pray this prayer, we're watching our steps. We steer clear of those circumstances where the devil has taken advantage of us in the past. We know how weak we are, and we know that we need to be careful. We call for accountability. We're thankful for our spouses and for friends who can help us be accountable. There are places where we can't go. There are instances where we need to say no. And we pray, beloved, for consistent strength constantly and strenuously to resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. We find ourselves when we're in a big crowd, like Peter was, then we can be bold. We can talk with boldness. And we can talk big. But then we get ourselves in a different situation and think again of Peter. Now he was just with some soldiers and some young ladies. And then all of a sudden, it's a very different situation. His weakness is revealed. We pray for consistent strength. No matter what the circumstances I'm in, that I am humble, I'm looking to Christ, and I know the victory that's found alone in him. He was tempted in every respect, like as I, in order to deliver me. And that's my confident hope. His temptation, His perfect obedience enables me to face temptation, to pray this petition, and to walk in obedience before Him. And when we fail, we look to Him and we pray for grace to learn from it, to be humbled, to walk in a manner that reflects that complete dependence upon God. We watch and we pray. We stay alert. We seek to be aware of our surrounding. We immerse ourselves in prayer. In the word and prayer. Reading it, studying it. And that word speaks to our life and it speaks to the way that God would have us to go. Beloved, people who are watching, who are praying, who are leaning on Christ are those who glorify and honor their God. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, our desire is to give Thee all glory, all praise, all honor. We are weak and sinful. Forgive us and strengthen us that in the midst of this battle we might forsake pride, that we might humble ourselves to our knees, cast ourselves before Thee in prayer, and know that our only strength to persevere is found in Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit in our lives. So strengthen us, Lord, that today we might resist the temptations of the devil, that we might keep this day holy, that we might honor those in authority, that we might give thee all praise, all glory, as the God of our salvation. Amen.